Hello, I'm Matt Furno, and welcome to Connected Commerce Business Beyond Borders, the podcast from GBG. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring how businesses can prosper online while building customer trust in the digital world. And we'll be joined on each episode by experts discussing various topics. Today, we're going to be chatting about how to combat the rising risk of identity fraud. In a time when more people than ever are living their lives online, this topic is more timely than ever. We're seeing a dramatic increase in consumer adoption of digital commerce. I think we all believe that that's not going to slow down anytime soon. But while this digital acceleration certainly creates opportunities, there are ever more sophisticated fraudsters out there that are looking to exploit any vulnerabilities. So I'm really excited to be joined on this episode by two phenomenal leaders and industry experts in this area. So first up, we've got a good friend and colleague of mine, Chris Luttrell, who as Chief Operating Officer leads the North American Identity and Fraud Businesses here at GBG, and Amber Burridge, who is Head of Fraud and Intelligence at CIFAS. So it'd be great just to get us started by just hearing from both of you with a quick introduction. So Amber, perhaps you could go first. Thank you. My name is Amber Burridge and I am Head of Fraud Intelligence at CIFAS. We are a not-for-profit organisation that are made up of over 550 members spanning across 13 different sectors. My job is essentially to make sense of all the fraud threats and intelligence that we are seeing across all of the sectors and try and help in terms of some of those fraud prevention strategies. Thanks, Amber. And over to you, Chris. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you, Matt and Amber. It's a pleasure to be presenting with you today. Um, I'm Chris Luttrell, and I am the Chief Operating Officer at Ideology, which uh, is part of the GBG family of products. We're located in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're the leading provider of identity verification and fraud prevention solutions here in the U.S. So very excited. Appreciate the opportunity to, to speak about these really important issues today. Fantastic. It's, it's great to have you both on. And I think it also gives us that uh, unique perspective of seeing what's happening on both sides of the Atlantic. So we're looking forward to your insights. So I think a great place to start would be to just try and clearly define what we're talking about when we, we talk about identity fraud. So maybe by way of a definition, perhaps Amber, you could kind of help us first and then uh, Chris, feel free to, uh, to chime in. So essentially, in its most simplest form, um, we, we refer to identity fraud as being when a criminal abuses personal data to impersonate an innocent party or creates a fictitious identity to open a new account or product. Now, although it sounds simple, I think what we need to bear in mind is that the impact that it then has on both an individual and a business is actually epic. And that is one of the things today that I'm hoping that we can discuss. Yeah, I think Amber's definition is spot on. Um, you know, I know firsthand what it's like to have your identity stolen. It's actually just happened to me in the past week. Um, there is a real big issue here in the States around um, unemployment fraud because of the pandemic. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but fraudsters are always going to exploit the weakest link that they can find in a situation. And during the pandemic, a lot of them know that businesses aren't collecting the mail on a timely manner because a lot of people are working from home. And so one of the ways that um, fraud is being perpetrated today and actually happened with me personally is unemployment fraud. So uh, someone has taken my identity and they have filed for unemployment. 
And um, probably what will happen is they'll have those funds uh, diverted to either uh, a prepaid card or um, a, an online bank account so that they can start receiving my unemployment benefits. And honestly, uh, it, this is this is really the first time I've ever had my identity compromised. And it's quite shocking. And you feel so vulnerable because of this happening. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a big problem that's occurring today. And uh, it's, it's getting even bigger. So um, just for me personally, I know we're going to have, I'm going to have a lot of work to do to clean this up. So I definitely understand how consumers feel when they when they have their identity compromised or, or stolen. Yeah, that must be just shocking to go through. And, and Chris, you, you said obviously it makes you feel very vulnerable when your identity is being seized by by somebody else. As as a leader in the industry, kind of how does that experience start to kind of inform the work that you're doing in helping businesses and ultimately consumers to be protected? Well, I was already quite passionate about stopping fraud. It's been kind of my, my, my lifelong career in doing that. Um, but, you know, you can bet that I'm going to figure out how this occurred and figure out the gaps and the holes in which um, this was allowed to happen. And I'm going to fight as hard as I can to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. And for the ones that it has happened to, I'm going to I'm going to fight to to see if we can figure out how this happened. So, um, you know, it, it just definitely lights. Uh, I've already got that kind of fire lit inside of me already. It's just adding, I guess, gasoline to the flame. And uh, so we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Personal experience is a, is a powerful motivator, right? Um, uh, Amber, in your earlier comment talking about the you know, what identity fraud is, you, you touched on the, the, the scale of the problem. I wonder whether you could go a little bit deeper uh, with that and just kind of help us get a sense of, we, we've talked about the impact from, from Chris's perspective can you just develop a bit more of the, the, the scale of the problem uh, that the industry and, and all of us as online consumers are facing? Yeah, sure. I mean, identity fraud is a real concern for both businesses and members of the public. And what we can see is that, particularly here in the UK, that over the last five years, identity fraud has actually risen by astoundingly 32%. Um, and actually, kind of what we saw in 2019 was that actually we had the highest volume of identity fraud ever recorded. So over 220. 3,000 cases. And if you think about it, that's kind of like one every two minutes-ish, um, which is absolutely alarming. You know, the majority of frauds that CIFAS sees recorded to the National Fraud Database is actually in relation to identity fraud. It's like 61% of the cases that we see. And I think what is, is scary now, as kind of just mentioned by Chris's experience, is that, you know, it's how does this information get breached in the first place, you know, quite often it, it depends on kind of the age group as well as the victim uh, in terms of the type of product that is then applied for using their details. So, for instance, we know that those aged under 21, as a prime example, are more likely to have their details used for mobile phone contracts, whereas kind of those that are sort of over 61 are more likely to have their details used for credit card applications. You know, it's kind of that perception that they'll have a better credit rating as a prime example. 
And I think one of the things that we should really note, and we kind of have touched on it already, is the fact that, you know, we are living more digitally now. So probably not surprising is that 87% of the identity frauds in the UK that were recorded by CIFAS members actually occurred online. You know, and there is an ever-growing emphasis on moving more towards digital channels. Uh, and we've definitely seen it during the pandemic, uh, without a doubt. You know, I think that the point is now that a lot of business is done online. So it's this whole concept of knowing your customer almost goes out of the window a little bit now because actually you're dealing with a, an online applicant instead. And I, I also want to touch on the fact that, you know, it's not just an individual that also gets targeted. Businesses are also targeted for identity fraud. The, the number of businesses that we have recorded in our database in the past six months alone because of corporate identity theft is rising. You know, it's it's huge. And the main driver for that is obviously because of the pandemic. We've had a number of stimulus packages which have been released. And then it's not only just those that are administering the, the kind of grants and the loans that are being targeted for the product, but it's also the businesses themselves where they're being approached by criminals to release their confidential information. Really interesting, Amber. Thank you. And, and Chris, from, from your side of the Atlantic, does that look broadly the same or are you seeing things that are, are more specific to, to the market you're operating in? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing some similar things. And um, every year we put out a consumer study and it's a really nice research report where we um, where we survey consumers to ask them you know, how they feel about certain things going on in, the, in, in their lives uh, as it relates to identity verification and fraud. And, you know, some of the things that we see, much similar to the stats that that Amber talked about, um, in the past 12 months, 56 million Americans have had an account opened that was not authorized by that individual. So a a fraudulently opened account. And these things are happening. You know, Amber mentioned the, the older individuals with the credit card applications. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw an enormous spike in um, identities of senior citizens being used in fraudulent ways. It was, over, it was I think, a 206% increase in the typical number of senior citizen identities coming through the system with suspicious attributes tied around them. So definitely fraudsters were taking advantage of the pandemic with more and more consumers having to transact digitally. Um, you know, I always use my mom as an example. She would go to the branch, the local branch, And since she now can't go to that branch, she has to do everything online. This is a new experience for her. And it leaves her open to schemes and scams that that could be occurring. One of the things that we've seen, and I know that others have seen across multiple industries, is just the huge spike in phishing. And so the, the phishing attempts is one way that fraudsters really get in and get that information that they need from consumers to perpetrate their crime. So, you know, tricking someone to tell you their social security number or their uh, PIN code for their bank account. So there's a lot of phishing that's occurring, and that's been a huge spike. There's a lot of great articles out there about that. And then in addition to all of that, we still have this issue of synthetic identity fraud, where fraudsters are just making up identities. They're taking bits and pieces of a consumer's identity. And I don't know if, if you guys have the same the same issue, Amber, it'd be interesting to hear from you if you have the same issue um, across the pond, as we like to say. But 
uh, with uh, synthetic, these are just made up identities where they're using pieces of real information from real consumers, but they're kind of cobbling it together to create an identity and they're being used more and more. And typically where we see the people who are victimized most often in these synthetic identity schemes are individuals under the age of 18. Here in the U.S., you don't really start to build your credit file until you're 18 years old. Fraudsters know that. So they know they can take a social security number from someone who is under the age of 18 and use that to start to build out a synthetic identity. So a lot of the same similar things, but it's, it's, all, it's all big problems that we all have to try to solve. Yeah, definitely, Chris. It's, it's something that we have definitely seen here. And it's one of the biggest threats, actually, that our members talk about, because, for instance, the number of applications that are actually passing that kind of initial verification is dis- disproportionately high um, when we look at our stats here in the UK. And, you know, it does beg that question, is it because we are seeing a rise in synthetic identities? And we know, for instance, that, you know, not only you can take a piece of someone's identity that has been compromised and then use the likes of false documentation, which here in the UK is actually readily available on websites. They call them novelty documents. So, for instance, you can then go and buy a gas bill or a bank statement. It's it's quite surprising that the ease of being able to get hold of some of this documentation. And I think it is definitely one of the things that as businesses and consumers, we need to consider going forward. I think that's given some really, really good colour around the the nature of the threat um, and some of the things that are happening right now, particularly during this period of time when there's been such a surge in in digital adoption. So I guess we, we've we've created an environment where we understand what the problem is. I guess what we need to do is to communicate uh, what the solutions are. So maybe if we split that down into two, um, what can consumers online do to protect themselves, and, and what can businesses do? to be ahead of this problem. So maybe, Amber, we can come to you talk a bit about what people, consumers can do online, and then perhaps, Chris, you can come in and talk a bit about what businesses can be doing to protect themselves. Sure. So I think one of the interesting things is around kind of our own digital footprint in terms of how that leaves us vulnerable to having our identity stolen. Um, For instance, we did a piece of research called Walls of the Internet in 2018, and it it showed that of the victims that we could find that had a social media presence, actually all of those that had a LinkedIn presence also had a Facebook presence. And I think what that demonstrates is that actually you've got two really key sources there to obtain as much personal and sort of employment information as possible to then build a really good foundation for a profile. I think also it's the thing from a consumer side of things and also from a social media user, dare I say, being a bit mindful of the things that you're putting on. So, for instance, when you're revealing things like previous married names or or your children's names, pet names, all of these are kind of key security questions that we get asked in the UK when like you kind of call up to change your policy. These are the things you get asked. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, that tied in with, as Chris mentioned, phishing, which has been extremely busy during the pandemic um you know the likes of all these online quizzes because a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands um or they've been like working from home and they're kind of they're finding ways to interact with the outside world so you know if you go on a quiz and you want to find out what kind of fruit you are for example it will ask you loads of different questions which actually if you think about it who are you giving that information to you know that's a big thing actually you're kind of giving all this my first pet was called bob or something like 
like that. And it's, it's once again, it's being stored to create some of this kind of these profiles that can then be used to fraudulently apply for products. And I think it, it's one of those things that we need to be mindful, particularly if we get asked about sharing any financial information. And this is key when you kind of get a phone call out of the blue. Uh, you know, some of these criminals are very professional sounding and they sound very much like your bank. You know, so if they ask you to start revealing passwords and, and kind of your bank account details and things like that, just take a moment and don't be afraid to hang up and say, I'll call you back. You know, give it give it five minutes and then call the number on the back of your card to actually get through to an actual advisor to see if they've made a call. So I would always say that always just take that moment, think, stop and challenge if people are asking you for that kind of information. So businesses, there's a, you know, a few things that they can do. First is, um, you know, businesses can also be prone to phishing. So I think it's really important that businesses educate their employees around this time period, especially since more are working from home to the types of phishing schemes that that can occur for a business because you can actually gather a lot of information about an employee if uh, you fall prey to a phishing email or even a, a fraudulent phone call that comes through. So education is going to be key. Um, in terms of identity, you know, we've, we've got to make sure that businesses have really strong and secure identity verification systems. And that's not just one thing, it needs to be layers of authentication that occur because there's really not a one size fits all for all businesses. Um, you know, a, a bank may have a very different uh, KYC process versus um, someone in the gaming in the gaming space. So, and they all may have different appetites for risk, right? So uh, we want to make sure that businesses are really putting in place a, a strong uh, solution that has uh, those layers that allows them to customize based off of their, um, first, their regulatory requirements, but, uh, but secondly, their fraud and risk. So businesses also need to deploy layers of authentication within their system. They, uh, you know, it's, you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution uh, with identity. It, one thing can't cover all of the different scenarios that can be happening. For example, a bank uh, may have uh, very different KYC rules than uh, a gaming company. And they might have a different appetite for risk as well. So it's really important that uh, businesses understand the risk that they're facing. They definitely need to understand the risks that are coming through and the fraud that is coming through. And then being able to kind of turn the dials and customize a solution that can really help to stop that. And, you know, I would just say on a personal note, if you're a business, please go check your mail at the office to make sure that no one else's identities have been used to file unemployment that um, that shouldn't have been used. So those would be those would be my tidbits of advice. Yeah, well, I hope that the, the listeners to this podcast are taking notes because there's some really, really good practical advice there from both of you, from a consumer and from a business perspective. We've talked a bit about the, the nature of the threat. Um, you've helped us to understand uh, some things like synthetic identities, the sophistication of phishing. Uh, these are issues that there has to be a lot of uh, recognition of and, and uh, businesses and consumers being ready to, to, to protect themselves. Uh, in this series of podcasts, we've been asking all of our guests the same question uh, as we wrap up. So I'd like to do that 
to the two of you now as we bring the podcast to to an end. And that question, I'll come to Chris first, and then maybe uh, Amber afterwards. Uh, what's the single most important thing that businesses can do to maintain trust, Chris? So that is a, a wonderful question. And uh, the biggest thing that, that businesses can do to, to maintain trust is to um, garner that trust through having a good onboarding experience that uh, allows the consumer to know what's happening with their data, where that data is being used, and how their data is going to be protected. When we look at some of the studies that we've done in the past with our, our fraud reports here at Audiology and our consumer reports, 64% of businesses have told us that their biggest challenge is balancing fraud prevention with having a low friction onboarding experience. But consumers expect that. They, they don't, consumers don't want to go through a laborious process to gain access to your system. But at the same time, they, they have to be assured that you are taking good care of their data. Um, most consumers believe it is the company's responsibility to protect their data. And they reward those companies who have the better identity verification systems. So, um, you know, nearly 80% of consumers will say, that they will do business with a company that they know has a good identity verification system. So I think, you know, you got to have a, just to kind of wrap it up because I could talk about this stuff all day is, you know, have a, have a great identity, identity verification system, fraud prevention system in place, but make it easy with low friction for the good consumers to get through the system without having to jump through a lot of hoops. It just makes for a better experience and they, and they have greater trust for the business in the long run. Great. And then Amber, uh, over to you is the last word. What's the single most important thing businesses can do to maintain trust? To be fair, I think Chris had it spot on. Um, I think from my perspective, you know, for a business to actually demonstrate that it is taking all the steps necessary to protect personal information is absolutely key for consumers. So, you know, in terms of that onboarding process, actually, like you say, having that clear transparency of what is happening with your data. Um, but also sort of I really would like to see businesses being more proactive in saying, you know what, these are the things that we are doing in terms of verifying your identity. These are the things that we will check. So, for example, you know, if you're part of a fraud prevention community or if you've got access to kind of some of these platforms like for instance access to the national fraud database you know say to people we won't just take check your details but actually we will check your documents as well and I think that's really key you know from some of the things that we have been seeing over the past six months in particular false documents have been on the rise in terms of the number of applications where we've seen them so actually really demonstrating to the criminals and consumers that actually these are the steps we are taking to protect those that we on board is a real powerful message I think in terms of one preventing criminals targeting them in the first place but also for a consumer to know that your data is protected. We know that from research here in the UK that a majority of consumers will not do business with a company if they know they've had a data breach. So, you know, really it is essential that we empower both businesses and consumers to protect personal and financial information. That's fantastic. Thanks, Amber. So in this episode of Connected Commerce Business Beyond Borders, we've been discussing how we can combat the rising risk of identity fraud. Um, our experts today have helped us to see the scale of the problem, the impact on 
people, consumers online, but also on businesses. But the great news is that the industry is stepping up and creating sophisticated responses uh, to these increasing uh, attacks on us online and the businesses that serve us. So I'd like to thank our guests once again for their insights. So thanks to Chris Luttrell and to Amber Burridge for coming and joining us on our podcast today and for all the things that you uh, added and helped us to understand on this topic. So thanks for listening today. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please do give us a review. See you next time.